Blog Talk Radio. Well, this is BC Radio Live with Eric and Phillips, live online at blogtalkradio.com slash Radio. Aloha. Tonight on BC Radio Live, we've got a couple of guests. We plan to hear from a band called Last November later in the hour. Uh, we've got some samples from their album to listen to. I think you'll quite like them. Uh, but first, we get to chat with Umesh Ramakrishnan, the author of There's No Elevator to the Top. It's also got one of those really long subtitles that are so popular these days, but we'll fill you on that in a minute. In the meantime, today is Wednesday, February 18, 2009, and this is BC Radio Live. Chat rooms now open at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio, and the live video feed is now running. I'm Philip Wynn, button pusher for BC Radio Live and chief geek at BC Magazine, and I am joined tonight by BC Magazine's founder and publisher, Eric Olson. Good evening, Eric. Philip, how are you? I'm doing well, and how are you this fine evening? I'm uh, I'm pretty good. I, we've suddenly had a rash of of equipment failures in the house. I've been like sending stuff back on warranty and trying to talk people into loaning me stuff and all this. I, it's really odd that it would happen all at once. We've had like just you know audio, video, various technological nonsense. So I'd, I had to actually return one by mail, one in person, and and one uh, uh, kind of third party three different pieces of equipment today. Is that bizarre yeah. or what? I I, I got to tell you, I know the feeling. I've got uh, I've got a few things broken around the house myself, but. Hey, you know, you only need one working bathroom, and the garage door really is overrated anyway. When you can just walk around, and <laughs> my, parents, my parents still have the old school garage door where, where like, there's no no automatic shutdown. So if you get oh, caught underneath yeah. it, it cuts you in half, and <laughs> cool stuff like that. It's really heavy, you know, and it's really old, and 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 really a powerful motor in there. I, I don't know what they were thinking, and. In in the old days, you know, just like anything to get it up and get it back down. So uh, when theirs go, I think theirs has only gone out once in like 30 years. But it, it's a, it takes a lot of effort to get it uh, back going again. I think they were trying to talk them into replacing it the last time. But See, heck that, no, that, they want that hardcore old school cut you in half garage door. Only one break, only one failure in 30 years. I mean, this is twice in 10 years for me. So ours sure went. At our house, ours went within the first year. Something <laughs> went wrong with it. You know, as long as it's under warranty, I mean, sure, you know, yeah, okay, they fix it. It will, in theory, cost you more or less nothing, although, you know, it depends if you're going to have to ship and all that. But the bottom line is, is why does this stuff go, you know? I mean, why is it so poorly built or or, or quality control? I don't get it, why stuff is... And some of it's, you know, it's not like it's not expensive or not, you know, in theory, good quality. It's it's amazing to me. And and even Don's new car, I mean, it's yep. it's already been back twice, you know, with electrical <laughs> issues. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I heard a little bit about that last week. I missed last week's show, as regular listeners will know. And uh, fortunately, you and Lisa McKay are. Our normal third host uh, had a had a fun time chatting when the guest didn't show up as well. We were chatting up a storm, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, Lisa is actually uh, not with us this week, but she should return next week. We should have all three of us together again at long last, hopefully next week. 
after a couple of absences by one or more of us uh, for the last few weeks. Uh, let's go ahead and get started, shall we? Absolutely. Well, this is BC Radio Live, live every week at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio, and co-hosting with Eric, I'm Philip. A lot of business management books begin to uh, blur together after a little while, so savvy authors always looking for a good twist. And I think Umesh Ramakrishnan has found one. He's been an executive headhunter for a while, and in his book he uses his access to some pretty high-ranking executives to ask some simple questions like, you know, what do you wish you'd known 20 years ago? The book is called There's No Elevator to the Top, A Leading Headhunter Shares the Advancement Strategies of the World's Most Successful Executives, and now you know why I waited until now to read the whole thing. It's available on Amazon, and here to talk about it with us tonight is the author of that book, Umesh Maramakrishnan. Uh, welcome to BC Radio Live, Umesh. Thank you very much, Philip. Uh, pleasure to be here. Good well, evening. How are you? Good, Eric. How are you doing? I am... I am a okay. We're uh, I'm in Ohio and we had a we had a we had a balmy, almost 50 degree day today, but it's going down to 15 as we speak. I'm looking out of my window and seeing that weather because I'm in Ohio too. Are you really? Yes, I yep. am. Well, it both, is a, both in the Cleveland area. It's pretty rare that we have a guest from an actual, you know, nearby us. We are neighbors. There you go. I'm in Richfield. I'm in Aurora. There you go. Wow. Home of the former Coliseum. Yeah, that, that's correct. What did they end up doing with that, anyway? I have no idea. It looks like an old dilapidated building that seems to be dying out there. They, they, they've left it up, though, have they? That's amazing. Yeah, they, they have, yeah. You would think they would come up with something uh, to do with it, or at least tear it down or something. I guess there's not a huge demand. For, uh, for property, I mean, I guess they have the the room in in Ridgefield, which is why they built it there in the first place. Yeah, well, the that's are certainly not going to move back there at this point. So no, I don't imagine they will. They 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 are the kings of downtown now, aren't they? It's true. It's true. Are you a fan? It's pretty exciting. Yes, I am. And what a year to be a fan. What a I think I I'm hoping it's 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 like what a decade to be a fan. You know. <laughs> well, Wishful thinking. As long as they can hang on. Remains to be seen, of course. Of course, this is Cleveland. <laughs> it is. How interesting! I hadn't I hadn't read down to the bottom of the the last line of the bio. His family live in Cleveland, Ohio. That's really really interesting. Well, you know what I want before we get into the book, which is of course uh, as, as Philip has so eloquently introed, as he always does. Uh, I wanted. I, I was thinking, how have things changed from a you know kind of high end. Uh, high-level recruiting headhunter standpoint in this current economy is 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 that territory that's that's fairly safe and sacrosanct, or or is it getting is is, is that range or are those people getting battered about as much as everyone else? Well, I, I don't think any uh, industry or any services company is going to be spared in this uh, economy, Eric. So uh, we are having our fair share of the uh, challenges that everybody else is facing. Uh, however, you know, uh, companies need to be very selective in terms of who they bring in as uh, the CEO or senior executives. So uh, there's always room for improvement uh, now more than ever. So you know, we, we we are getting our fair share of business. Excellent. What do you think of the all these ads for that ladders? Do you have any opinion of that company? The 100K plus, you see all the time on CNN. <laughs> well, I think it's an effective ad for that uh, range of executives. Uh, you know, uh, the 
the area that CT Partners plays in is a little higher than that. Uh, so, you know, it's not relevant to our business, but for the business that they're in, it seemed like a relevant ad, and uh, hopefully they're getting some business out of it. Uh, but, you know, what, what uh, the area we play in, Eric, uh, is in the CEO, board of directors, and direct reports to the CEO level, which you're not going to get uh, these individuals, uh, you know, through the Internet or through advertising because the folks that we go after are people that are gainfully employed and not ones that are looking for work. Right, right. Well, you, so you, you're up there where there's no air at all. People have to wear aqualungs to breathe. And, and there's no elevator to get to that point. So <laughs> you're correct. There's, uh, it's a very thin, and uh, you know, it's only the best that get up there. When they get there, it's not often that they jump uh, from uh, job to job. So when these folks retain us and they pay us you know, a, a fairly significant fee, uh, they want to make sure that they're getting people who are doing well and, like I said, gainfully employed, not ones that can answer an advertisement and just uh, jump ship. So right. it's a very different uh, breed of executive. So it would probably be kind of beside the point to to be advertising on CNN or anywhere else for that matter. If they do, you're correct. It makes uh, the whole executive search process irrelevant. And, and frankly, it doesn't work that way. I mean, you know, these these folks uh, who are busy... Uh, making money for their shareholders are not looking uh, at advertisements or even responding to phone calls uh, unless it comes from a reputable firm. Right. Uh, so uh, very different ballgame. What are your thoughts? I guess I'm staying kind of general for a moment. We we do have a, a fair amount of time if if you have the time. Sure. Um, I, what are your thoughts on you know the the curve the the um, we keep hearing uh, more and more and especially now of course when when there's when times are down people complain more. Uh, you know that rarefied place. With, we're talking, you know, major corporation CEOs and, and board director people, and you know where their salary and, and of course, typically their salary is a is a minor part of their income. You know, where 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 what we're talking figures of a hundred, a thousand, whatever times more the you know the average worker at the company. You know, what are your thoughts on that disparity? And, and is it is it just our perception that the disparity between the very, very tippy, tippy, tippy top of these corporations and the average worker at that corporation, that that disparity is growing at a seemingly exponential rate, or has it always been that way? And and is it justified? You know, I, I hear just both sides of it, and they both seem to make sense to me. I, I really haven't formed, you know, my own real uh, final opinion on that yet. Uh, there are lots of questions rolled up in that statement, right? So you betcha, uh, and that's how uh, I do it, man. <laughs> let me let me try to tackle one at a time. Uh, you can you, unthread, you know, untangle the knot. I guess. Go ahead. Sure, please. sure. So uh, you know, let's start with: Is there a disparity? Of course, there is. I mean, that's a fact. I mean, uh, folks at the very top of an organization make. Uh, multiples of the uh, person at the bottom of the organization. Is it justified? In most cases, yes. Now, you know, unfortunately, in this environment, we've been all been exposed to uh, news every day about people who have done it the wrong way, uh, you know, unethically or uh, illegally even. Uh, in those cases, of course, it's not justified. But if you look at, uh, you know, a corporation in an economy that is uh, ballooning uh, or even in a steady state, you do require the person at the top to drive the corporation forward. 
uh, increase the value of the stakeholders that are involved, including ensuring uh, empl continued employment for those that are working uh, inside the company and get, getting new people employed. So, you know, this uh, when I, at least uh, till a few weeks ago, this was completely a capitalist country, and we had to uh, get incentives in front of people to get them to do work, which I don't think is a bad idea at all. So uh, is it justified uh, to incentivize somebody to do something that will create wealth not just for that individual but for hundreds of thousands of others? In my opinion, absolutely yes. Uh, we should not change that. My fear about this whole uh, cap on executive compensation for those companies that are requiring the top fund is that the, the talent will move. You know, uh, eventually they're going to go to a place where they're going to be better compensated. Why would they stay in a place uh, where they're going to get less compensation? So uh, I think there's a lot of value and wisdom in the way compensation uh, has been designed in this in country and in Western uh, countries over the last 100 years, and I, I don't think we should be fooling around with it a whole lot. Or, or at least not dictating that from above, right? Well, th that's exactly the question. By fiat. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but doing that by fiat is going to cause uh, uh, talent compression in especially those companies that require the most talent. So you're going to find people that will take that job because they want to leave their mark. Now, we may get lucky and find somebody who does extremely well under those circumstances, but you're not going to find people that are proven and tested because – they are going to be paid their value somewhere else. Now, by somewhere else, do you mean outside the country? No, not necessarily outside the country. Remember that the compensation uh, restriction is only for those companies that are uh, taking federal funds uh, right. as a loan. So that, you know, if you look at the whole country as a whole, Eric, that's a very small percentage uh, of uh, corporations across the country, uh, which leaves 99% plus of the, of the uh, companies that are willing to pay what is required to keep the best executives. Right. But do you think my thinking was that uh that 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 having that example and especially having it having it dictated by the government that that could have influence beyond just the companies where where it's, you know, specifically where it's legally mandated that 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 could have influence um you know, perhaps in some ways cause uh, suppression across the board, both for sort of uh, political, I don't mean literally political, I mean person-to-person -person political uh, reasons uh, or PR reasons, that kind of stuff. But it sounds like you think maybe the opposite. Well, you know, if you are a public company, you're certainly going to be under much more scrutiny than you've ever been, uh, simply because of the uh, you know situation that we find ourselves in as a country. Uh, and as a result, uh, I think you are correct that there will be compression of uh, compensation across the board uh, for companies that come under that limelight. Uh, specifically, uh, you know, as an example, I, I talk about the financial services industry uh, and maybe the automotive industry. So these, these are industries that are in the news almost on an hourly basis on every cable channel that you can find. So for those companies to flaunt a very high compensation uh, level for the executives is probably not just in bad taste, but politically incorrect at this point in time. Right. But but there are numerous other industries, life sciences, for instance, that are still growing, even despite the economy, uh, where that does not hold true. Uh, you know, in, in the end, you have to ensure that your stakeholders 
uh, have uh, a stock value that goes up eventually. And you need people that can drive that. And to do that, you need talent. And to get talent, you have to pay. It seems to me this whole structure, um, at least you know until recently, and I imagine we'll get back to it because if it works, it works. And you're saying you think it does, and I think most economists and certainly free market people do believe that. And uh, that's typically where I, my, the position I'm coming from, uh, the, the less regulation – the better, although lately it sure seems like we need some regulation in, in some areas, or at least we need to enforce those regulations we have, uh, you know, which is a, another issue. But uh, I, I'm just wondering, it, it seems to me like the way this is all set up is it really kind of partakes of the the great man sort of myth, whereas it, it really is super important to have that top guy, that guy at the top who's a, who's not only – your functional leader, but it also is kind of a rallying point and is and is a iconic sort of figure ideally, and and is and, and perhaps is even a lightning rod because, it, I mean, that seems to me a lot of the justification of why you would pay that top guy so much more, you know, and and, and we're talking the figures, you know, it's tens of millions that a lot of these people are making. Well, but, but also uh, the way they make it, Eric, and when you talk about an iconic figure, I, I think all of us would agree that a very good example of that is Steve Jobs. Sure. Perfect. I mean, the, the, the guy's salary is $1. So, you know, his, his compensation comes from stock appreciation. Sure. And stock appreciation happens when the company does well. So if you're tying performance to compensation – Really, you know, you shouldn't. People shouldn't have a problem with it. Uh, no, I agree. I think that makes perfect sense because there's a downside to it too. There's risk. Oh, there's huge risk. I mean, you know, uh, right at this point in time, everybody's uh, uh, share is headed to the basement here, and uh, the top CEOs know that they have to live with it. And they I think will. The, the resentment seems to be kind of concentrated on those those people or those companies or or even those industries where where there's no risk you know where you do super poorly so badly that your that that your company and virtually your industry go bankrupt they disappear and yet you still have this you know what 100 million dollar golden parachute i think that's what people resent where, and, where there and, is and a there, i would agree with it there there i absolutely would agree i think if you're doing badly uh, and then to go ahead and pay your executives in the face of that, I think, is just in very poor taste and, frankly, is something that should be regulated because uh, it, uh, that actually uh, you know, flies in the face of uh, fairness and uh, you know, capitalistic behavior. Yeah, I mean, it just people say, how, why? And, and they come away with, well, the only thing I can think of a why people would agree to that it's just kind of like the you know the worst sort of cronyism. I mean, that's what it feels like to people. I think you know from on the outside. And, and to a large extent, it is. It's a bunch of guys or gals that uh, band together and uh, pay themselves, uh, you know, despite the performance. So uh, I, I think people have certainly the right to gripe about something like that. Well, and let's talk about your book, your sensational, fantastic book. Did I hear Philip <laughs> say that he had read it? No, no, I've uh, I've scanned and collected as much information as I as I could, though. <laughs> I'm just kidding because it's always unfair. Uh, we're, we're trying to remedy it. It hasn't happened yet, though. Whereas uh, I I get the copy of the book 
and and he doesn't, you know, from from the PR people, and uh, you know, but yet he's the one who's piecing together the the, uh, the the structure, and he's the one who's giving the information, and he's he's functioning as our uh, he's our MC. So it's well, it's always. Philip was, Philip was kind enough to read out the entire title, which is uh, you know like an asshole at this point in time. <laughs> I tell you, six I get, lines I get long on the book. <laughs> there are six lines. There's no elevator to the top. A leading headhunter shares the advancement strategies of the world's most successful executives. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, clearly, of, of all the times, it's, this, this is material that's always relevant. I would think never goes out of style, but even more so now than ever, people want to know um, how do they get to the top? What are some of these advancement strategies? And, and I think the first question you want to ask yourself, especially during this time, uh, Eric, is do you want to get to the top? Uh, and and I, I, I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. That's a serious question. And in fact, in the book, I, I believe it was Steve Reinemann, who was then the chairman of PepsiCo, who one of the people I interviewed for the book, said, you know, look in the mirror and ask yourself, do you really want to be CEO? Uh, because, you know, if that's your only ambition in life, uh, you could be a pretty miserable person, uh, you know, going through your career because in every organization there could be hundreds, thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of employees. There's only one CEO. There's lots of jobs and positions within the firm that could be extremely satisfying and fulfilling for anybody. So the first question to ask yourself is, do you really want that top spot? Uh, and then, uh, you know, after that, go from there. But I think the book is for anybody who wants to rise to the top of an organization, not necessarily just to the CEO spot. And, uh, you know, I think people should... Uh, Get le- the whole idea of the book, Eric, was that the lessons don't come from me. I'm merely the medium. The message comes from dozens of CEOs uh, and other executives that I interviewed around the world. What did you find to be some of the most common uh, responses to that? Where where was the most commonality? Well, I think the uh, well, lots of commonalities, uh, regardless of geography or industry. But you know, one of the things that uh, everybody talked about was to ensure that you don't take an elevator to the top. In other words, you know, and sh- make sure that you move laterally, sometimes move down. The reason to do that is to get as much of an exposure to a broad set of functions as possible as you go to the top. If all you do is sit in marketing from the beginning to the end, yes, you could become chief marketing officer, but that's all you're going to become. But if you spend some time in finance, sometimes in, some time in marketing, maybe, maybe get some exposure to human resources with a project or something, uh, take a step back and get uh, a you know a posting to Shanghai. Get a global exposure. Uh, once you do that, you find that you become a much more credible leader because the uh, the higher you get to the top, the more functions uh, come under you. Uh, you find yourself sometimes out of your depth if you haven't had at least some exposure to it uh, on your way to the top. So How- that, that was one thing that really stuck out. That that's an excellent point, and boy, do I find that gratifying. Because if anyone has had a checkered career, if anyone has hopped around and been an eclectic lunatic, that is me. <laughs> so it was preordained, and and you know what I was going to say. I mean, and I'm I'm half joking because uh, you know I always do that, but but there's truth to it too. What's the easiest way to become a CEO? Start your own company. Uh, yes, and then, <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're, you're, you're your own boss first, and then you have other people to boss around. And, uh, 
you keep the book and have the others read the titles. I mean, it's, it's as easy as that. <laughs> of course, in our company, uh, I, I was the least. I was the in the least position to boss anyone around. I, I was in the most supplicant position, I would say, and still am, for that matter. We our our company, Blog Critics, was uh, was purchased by Technorati last August. So Philip and I are are now working for Technorati. Well, it sounds like a good deal. It's a good deal, and the timing was good. That's great. Timing was actually spectacular. All right, well, that is, uh, on the serious side, that's very, very important information because, um, if you, you know, if you think about it, I mean, honestly, that's something I really have dealt with my whole life. I've always had a lot of interest. I have hopped around quite a bit, and, you know, it probably took me longer than it might have or should have, perhaps, some people think, you know, to kind of get to a point where I, you know, quote-unquote, achieve something uh, because I was hopping around. But all that hopping around, there's no question. There's no job, there's no interest that uh, that has not uh, aided me in uh, running Blog Critics. You know, we're an online magazine, we're extremely broad-based, eclectic, we cover, you know, kind of a an independent kind of Time Magazine type thing, or probably closer really to more like a Rolling Stone or something. And, uh, you know, so we cover all those different topics and areas of interest, and, and it's is there's almost none of it. I don't know much about video games, but that's about it. I mean, I at least have interest or some background or something in, in you know, kind of everything else that we do. Well, and as Philip knows, I'm, I'm certainly not very tech-savvy, but... Uh, but I, but it's not that I'm not interested in it. I just don't. I'm not very good at it, and don't haven't had much of a background. So I, I mean, that really does make sense. And, and my dad actually was was in uh, HR, and he ended up um, uh, head of HR at, at, at TRW when it still existed, as as you know here in Cleveland, of course. Uh, and uh, I remember him talking about they had a program, an uh, intern program. Or I, or I think it began as an intern program. Where it was, I don't think they called it that, but it was perceived to be, in essence, kind of a, a kind of S, uh, CEO. And if, if not as CEO, then you know, very top level executive program where they very specifically move people around to yeah. do I, to accomplish. I think just what you're saying. That's exactly right. And the companies like IBM have a formal program to do that. They take you from a staff role to a line role, getting you through multiple functions, uh, send you to different geographies. Uh, and you know, not all of us are lucky to work for an organization like IBM, but you should be able to do it yourself within an organization if they don't have a formal program to do so. Well, and I think if you do so, if you do let let that be known that you're that's a that's a statement of your seriousness. Hey, you know, you're you're throwing down the gauntlet. I, hey, I intend to rise to the top, so so please move me around. And even if it's not, uh, you know, uh, you know, throwing down the gauntlet, I think a lot of companies would welcome that because it means that here's a person that is open to taking on challenges that others may not be. And you know, and we all know, running companies, that we need help. You know, we need help in different places, and some some jobs are just not uh, as popular as others. And uh, you know, the smart person going up the chain here uh, spots that, recognizes the need goes up to his or her boss and says, hey, you know, that nasty little problem you have in Bangalore, give that to me. Let me solve it for you. Wow. That would be that'd be a ballsy move as far as I'm concerned. It, it is, and it's, it's not without risk, but it's not with as much risk as you may imagine because, you know, already if it's a big problem, 
uh, you know, people have already discounted it. The fact that you're volunteering to do that is going to earn you a lot of brownie points. And then on top of that, if you go and actually solve it, uh, you've just short-circuited your route to the top. Wow. Excellent. I like that. All right. Uh, hey, Philip, since we, I've pretty well cut you off um, and we're, we're nearing the end here, um, please, uh, you know, ask any questions. And uh, I think we're trying to focus a bit on the book, but, uh, you know, anything that – Yeah, no, I – I actually was looking through the the executive summaries that are scattered throughout the book. As I as I said, I, I don't have a copy of the book in front of me, but Amazon is a is a wonderful site. Yeah. And um, one of the things I thought was interesting from these executive summaries is that, you know, it seems like each section has a, a different focus, obviously. And so so the executive summary summarizes different things. But one of the things that I saw popping up in several was this this idea of delegation. How how universal or how important do the uh, people you interview for this book say that delegation is to, to being a successful business leader? Extremely important, Philip. And, and the reason for that is this. Uh, when you are a type A aggressive personality, especially one that you know Eric just described in terms of somebody who wants to go to the top and throws down the gauntlet, you're almost a perfectionist, and you're trying to do good work. And when you have people under you that, is, that are not doing their fair share of work, not carrying their weight, uh, what you tend to do as a young manager is you tend to step in and do their work for them. You're not doing anybody any favors by doing this. Uh, you know, First of all, you're doubling your work and probably ignoring some of the things that you really should be doing. And secondly, you're, you know, you're lifting, doing the heavy lifting for somebody who should be doing the work themselves. Uh, and learning. And, and learning. And, and so instead of either forcing that individual to learn or firing him or her because, you know, they're not competent, you tend not to delegate and do their work, and that actually stymies your progress. So you, you, you need to be very careful uh, about one thing as you continue to build your career. That is to build a team around you that are filled with just A players. Uh, not B players, not C players, but A players. Because, you know, A players hire A, a players, B players hire C players. And, and so, and that, I know it sounds like it's not connected to delegation, but it, it absolutely is. Because once no, you have I... A players around you, you tend to delegate, and you'll find yourself being lifted to the top by the by your team, as opposed to you trying to pull yourself to the top. Yeah, I mean, this, that's really interesting to me, because I'm, you know, if, if I answer the question you asked at the beginning of this segment, you know, do I want to be the CEO? Do I want to, to uh, rise to the top? I, I really don't. Um, <laughs> and yet still, I think, you know, that, that concept right there of delegation, of, of making sure that, um, you know, I'm surrounded by people who, uh, who are pulling their weight, I, I think that's actually something I need to uh, – I need to focus on right now. <laughs> so. You'd be surprised as to how many people in very complex and what what one many would think are sophisticated organizations do not do that. Uh, you know, if only they would surround themselves with winners, uh, they'll find themselves actually being pushed to the top much faster than they are currently being. You know. See, that's an area where I have a big advantage over Philip. See, Philip is very specifically skilled, whereas I have no specific skills whatsoever. <laughs> so I very much enjoy delegating, and I'm quite good at it. And, and, and the best leaders are. 
Very good. Uh, well, by the way, you, you, you said that tongue-in-cheek, uh, Eric, but you will find that uh, most of the, uh, the leaders that I spoke with are pretty self-effacing uh, individuals who have a tremendous amount of self-assurance, and they are actually not very good at many of the functions that the people do, and they'll be the first to admit it. But what they are right. very good at are finding the right people for the right jobs and ensuring that it gets done by them. Very nice. Well, we have uh, actually run out of time. Uh, the book is There's No Elevator to the Top, A Leading Headhunter Shares the Advancement <laughs> Strategies of the World's Most Successful Executives. And it's available now. It's on Amazon. Uh, you can actually poke through the table of contents there and, and make sure it's something you're interested in. But it sounds like it should be good for, uh, for pretty much any level working their way up. Or they can go to the blog at noelevatortothetop.com. Very good. Noelevatortothetop.com. Thanks for talking with yeah, us tonight, Thank man. you very much. It was a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well... BC Radio Live is a production of blogcritics.org and is broadcast weekly at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. And uh, with my co-host Eric, I'm Philip. Let, let's introduce our next guest with some music, uh, their, their music in fact. Uh, before I tell you anything whatsoever about them, here's just under a minute of a song called Hot and Cold. Well, that was Hot and Cold from a band called Last November. It's from their new album, uh, which is called Over the Top or Under the Weather. We've got a couple more samples to play for you in the next half hour, but you can also check them out at lastnovember.com. You'll find links at the bottom to follow them on Twitter, check out their MySpace, listen to them on Pure Volume, and generally connect with the band in every way possible, including buying the album on Amazon or iTunes. Uh, right now, though, let's talk to one of the guys we just heard. Luke, are you there? Yeah. Well, welcome to BC Radio Live, Luke. Yes, we can hear hey. you as well. All right. And uh, I, I can tell you that our, our chat room is, has come alive with people saying things like, I'm so excited. So you've got, oh. your, you've got your fans waiting to hear from you. You mean, okay. you mean they weren't excited about becoming a CEO of a major <laughs> corporation? I'm not sure how much overlap there is in the audience. This is one of our larger disparities, I'm guessing. By the way, guys, that the the hot and cold song that is, uh, and I and I mean this really seriously as a middle-aged man with a variety of interests. That is a brilliant evocation of ambivalence. I mean, you, you if if, if <laughs> yeah, I really is. <laughs> it is a really. I mean, that is a very sophisticated, you know, emotional. Uh, uh, presentation there, you know. I mean, it, it could be in any form. And and if someone said, uh, "Give me a really brief uh, description, a powerful description 
of ambivalence. I'd say, here, listen to this song for 30 seconds. It's it's really well done. Good job. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was uh, That one was one of my favorite ones uh, when we were recording the record, and uh, it, it, it always felt like, kind of like a sick pop tune or something to me, too, which I totally dug. So we had a good time with that one. It it rocks. So why don't you tell us about yourselves? Where are you guys from? This is your second album, right? So how long have you been together? And just give us yeah. your uh, your world view, your thing. We are uh, well. We're from Atlanta, Georgia. I live uh, up in Cleveland, Georgia. It's like an hour north where I'm here right now. Actually, it's like super rainy night here in Georgia tonight. And uh, that's a Brooke Benton song. Do what? That's a Brooke rainy Benton night. song. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm from a rainy Boston. night in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, a rainy night in Georgia. Sixties. Um, but I'm, yeah, a small town called Cleveland. It's like um, you know, no one knows it too much. The only thing we're known for is the Cabbage Patch Kids. We're from here. It's the home really? Of kids. Yeah. If uh, you know, a tiny little town. That's kind of where we all, uh, most like several of us grew up here. Taylor, and, uh, our drummer, and myself. He uh, like a couple towns over, I guess, and. Uh, me and him are the only original members, and I kind of had rotating cast and members over the years. You know, you start out in high school playing with the guys, and not everyone has the same kind of life goals or uh, you know ideas of where they want to be in the future. So you, know, you just you roll with the punches. But um, so yeah, I guess we've been doing this about six years now. It doesn't seem like it. Time flies. Uh, when you're having fun, that's for sure. Yeah. So how old are you guys? Early twenties? Yeah, I just turned twenty-two. That's early twenties. Well, that's that's cool. So so uh when did the first album come out? Uh we did the first record uh in high school actually. We recorded it in my parents' basement in the studio. Wow. Yeah, so uh we've been uh, we're fairly DIY for a lot of stuff like that. We tend to build our own do we shot our own music video, lots of things like that. So we, we built the studio in the basement and uh, recorded the record there and uh we went to Atlanta to Rodney Mills is the guy that mixed and mastered the album. And he's like, uh, he's an old guy, you know, and he's just like kind of a southern rock legend. So it was really cool working with oh, him. Oh, yeah, I know the name. What studio yeah, was that? Actually, this, do what? What studio was that? Where we mix, well, we mixed it in his studio, his house. That's where he masters everything that he gets, you know, all his where he works out of now. Right. So we, we mixed the record there, and uh, it was a really cool, like, learning experience for me because I was, I don't know, like 17, 18 or something working with, a guy like that, and he was, uh, you know, I, I would have these suggestions about the mix, and I'd be like, don't you think the vocals are mixed kind of loud? And he'd be like, listen, if you have a problem with your own voice, that's your own issue, but we're not going to mess up the mix. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so so that was a great, you know. So he wasn't really shy cute. about giving his opinion. No, no, absolutely not. And that's <laughs> the best kind of people to work with, you know. That's, that's Sure. That's who you need, you know, to make sure... You know, having a producer or having someone else like that is, like, you know, the best thing you can have because you're so close to your work, which was, that's what we ran into when we did uh, the new album. Hold on, I'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's see. We released the first record ourselves independently and uh, pressed up a bunch of copies. And about, like, a year later, I guess, Southern Tracks Records approached us, and they wanted to release uh, that album. So we they basically repackaged it, and... Um, you know, that's the first time we had really any distribution or anything like that. I'm sure that was very exciting. Oh yeah, absolutely. This was like right out of high school, I guess. Well, you know, the year. Did after they that. find you, or did you send it to them? Um, they. 
I, I don't think we might have sent some stuff. They found us, you know. We kind of just went and met. Well, they came to some shows in Atlanta and stuff. And, you know, they're based out of Atlanta. So it was really cool getting to work with a label like that. It's from our hometown. And it's been legendary. Like, they've, they've, done, they've had so much cool stuff in the past. Um, and there's, you know, the Lowry Group and the publishing company and everything has such a huge catalog. It was cool to be part of that, something that's had so much music history in, you know, the South and in Georgia. So, um and then, uh, so when it came time to do the second record, we obviously recorded it in their studio, Southern Tracks, and the producer named Steven Hagler came on board to do the record. And uh, I was really excited because he produced, have you ever listened to Brand New? Sure. He, I, he produced a band called Brand New, and they have their record, Deja on Tandu. It was one of my favorite records, and we were always like, we were all like huge fans of the band and had been for so long. So it was cool getting to work with a guy that had produced a band that we all, you know, were really into and respected and everything like that. And he did some other stuff with, like, Fuel and Oleander, some really cool bands. So this was the first time we'd worked with a producer, you know, or somebody that was really, uh, you know... A producer during it. the recording itself. Right, right, yeah. As opposed like, to a mixer. Exactly, as opposed to just the mixing. This is the first time someone else outside of the band had say in, like, our, you know direction or you know our um arrangement structure, arrangement structure whatever so it's really you know a different experience because we hadn't had that kind of direction before i mean we're much better musicians for it he definitely you know kicked our asses for good but <laughs> it was we, we uh grew a lot from that well sure i think ultimately i um I, I was the author and editor, or whatever head author of the Encyclopedia of Record Producers for for Billboard Books, and you know we we covered something close to 500 producers, and and uh, I did about a third of them myself. So man, I talked to a lot of producers, and yeah. I mean, you know the across the entire spectrum, you know all the different styles, all the different music um, genres, and but but something that come kept coming up over and over was. The most important thing a producer can do is simply be another set of ears, an independent right. set of ears, which is what Absolutely. you said at the beginning. That was the first thing you said. Yeah, it's someone that's uh, that's not, you know, that doesn't have an emotional attachment to the song, you know, because you know a lot of times I don't want to throw this part away or this lyric or that whatever because because I worked hard on it. Exactly, because it means something to me, but it may not mean something to everybody. It may not touch everybody the same way it did me. You know what I mean? So it's good to have someone. Out of the circle, who can be like that sucks. <laughs> well, anyway, exactly. Let's let's uh, let's listen to another sample, shall we? We can hear what doesn't suck. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we can talk. We can talk more in about seventy seconds or so. But uh, first, here's some of. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV.
Well, that was a bit of I'm Not a Doctor, but I played one on TV from the band Last November. You can find more samples and info at lastnovember.com. And, Luke, I've got to tell you, we've got people just going crazy in the chat room, and uh, Becca says hello. Hello, Becca. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're happy to take questions. If, uh, Philip, maybe if you want to field them, or I mean, we're happy to. Sure, you know, we actually. Someone keeps calling from New Jersey, and so far I've been ignoring the call. But if you want to call back, we can go ahead and bring you online and uh, let you try to ask, ask a, a quick question. I guess yeah, who I are we? You, who are we to keep the band apart from their rabid fans? <laughs> indeed, indeed. I'm getting some requests. I, I had picked, uh, I listened, I first heard this album today, Luke, I have to tell you. I, I just got the uh, PR link and kind of went through it, and I, I'm yeah. definitely a new fan. Um, cool. I, uh, so I went through, I picked my three favorite songs from the album, and unfortunately, I, I'm now being yelled at in the chat room because I didn't pick Sniper, um, and, I'm, and I'm, apparently that was, that was the bad choice, not, not oh, to yeah. grab your Hang most, your head. No, I like, I like what you picked. I like what you've picked too, Phil. That one, that last one, what I loved about that is, is just kind of a manic energy to it. You know, it's like it's ah, it's gonna. Ju-. In the old days, you know, when we played records, it was like the needle's gonna jump off the record. There's it, it was, the vocals were almost like uh, it almost reminded me of like a Jello Biafra. Do you know him from Dead Kennedys? And uh, oh I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he well, almost sounded really, like that, not in a derivative way, but that level right, of right. energy. You know? Yeah, I never thought of that, but that's pretty cool. Uh, it's very cool, and musically, uh, it really has a, a – a, I'm really getting a California sense because that one, the way it was jumping around and not an obvious melody and the way the guitar is kind of plucking out a, a, a non-obvious oh. melody line, it was, it was almost like an Oingo Boingo song. Yeah, it's very uh, – it is very frantic, I guess. It really uh, – uh, that one was uh, – that one actually had like a, kind of a hard time recording because it was – I bet. Uh, it's hard. It was – and not just that; it was a, it was a big mistake, kind of a big error. I don't we don't know what happened exactly, but we recorded it once. Somehow lost the track completely and had to start over. Luckily, oh, we'd no. only done ba- yeah we'd only done bass and drums at that point on the track, but still like that's a lot of money in the studio. So we had to we ended up, we ended up having to go back in a day and just like recutting it. And uh, but it actually ended up turning out better the second time. It was a better drum take and everything, so we were happy with it. But it was weird, you know, totally lost the song. <laughs> It was meant to be. It was meant to be. It was a sign. You subconsciously lost it on purpose. I deleted you know that, it in my sleep. That that yeah. happened to you too once. They lost an entire album that was you know ninety percent done and had to recreate it from scratch. And uh, I I think it's one of their best albums. So I've heard of that happening a lot of the times. I we had like two different hard drives that we would back everything up on them and keep them separate from each other. You know, it's fun. That brings up a really good point. That, and I'm sorry to, I'll say it quickly. That you know, people, a lot of people forget, or they, or they just have never known that. I mean, when you're talking about the recording process and all this, I mean, it really is physical stuff. You know, it doesn't just exist in space. And yeah. you know, I mean, you have to physically create this, and 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 things can get lost, and things can get ruined, and you know, things do happen. And, and I yeah. think people lose sight of that. They just think it's kind of this magical thing where you just kind of <laughs> go off in the magic uh, butterfly unicorn land and sing your yeah. song, and then it appears in CD form. I know. that It's uh, it's not like a tangible thing to most people. I mean, they have a CD they can hold, but or an MP3 player with a bunch of you know files on it, but it's not. It's, they don't realize that all this... You know, it's also like, I think a lot of people think you just go and you like sing and play and you're done. But it's like... 
there's multiple layers of recording. You're doing a track separately, and you've got like a hundred different. You got like a checklist of a hundred different things you have to record, and and then you got like fifty different vocal takes that, that you have to go through and pick. Like, what's the best part? You know, what sounds the best here? You know, and it's just grueling, really. It's it starts out like it starts out like, yeah, man, it's awesome. We're doing a new record. We're excited. Uh, we're doing pre-production, and we're getting all the songs like tight and honed and stuff. And then by the end, you're like, I hate this record. And I don't. I just want to get it over. If I ever hear that, well, that's why. That's why so many bands just love a need to get out on the road after you finished a record. Because man, oh yeah, absolutely, burnt. You want to get out there and get yeah. some new energy. You know. Hey, hey, uh, let's see if we can take a quick question here. Caller from New Jersey, you're on the line. What do you have to say to Luke? Hello from the seven three two. Oh, hung up. Apparently shy. Wow. <laughs> after all of that. After all of that. They didn't strike was, when the iron was hot. I was looking forward to it. Yeah, we were too, you know. So, well, I mean, if you, look, if you got a fan in New Jersey, that indicates to me that you guys have been touring and playing around. Is that true? Why don't you tell us about that? We have been touring a good bit, uh, a lot lately, too. Um, we spent a lot of time on this new record, like nearly a year. But we were kind of touring while we were doing it. Um, because we did it at Southern Tracks Studio, it's, like, hard to get in there. And as a matter, and actually the first team was doing his new record there, so we weren't exactly priority as far as getting on, you know, studio time. So we had to, you know, we kind of worked around whenever they had opening. So we were touring in between, but l- lately we've been touring a lot, and uh, it's been really, uh, really great, especially um, southeast stuff. You know, we've seen you know, really great turnouts in our crowds of fans that's coming out, and people really seeming to like really, you know, really appreciate and enjoy the music on another level and, now than you know, we've seen in the past. And you're still touring a little bit right now, right? You've got shows this Friday and Saturday in North Carolina. Right, uh, yeah, we're like touring right now. Next we're, Saturday in Georgia. Right, yeah, we got like, we've got, uh, we've been doing the Carolinas a lot too. Um, uh, on, right, unfortunately, our drummer has uh, kidney stones. and uh, <laughs> That is not fun. No, it's really bad. He's got one in his bladder like almost into his bladder, and it's the size of an English pea. And he's got one in his, and it's the size of a lima bean. Oh, yeah, yeah. That can't come out your penis. There's no, no I hope not, no. <laughs> so he's got to have surgery, like, next week, but he can't, you know, he can't play the show this weekend, unfortunately. And so we're we're, I mean, we're going to do some stuff. And, hey, if you'd you have know. told me before the interview that we would be mentioning penis and lima bean in the same sentence, I, I, I would have had a hard time figuring out how that was going to happen. Well, I gotta tell you, people in the chat room are showing up with names like "I had sex with Luke too" and "Luke's penis." So apparently, it's a popular thing. We've got a call right now from Atlanta, area code six seven eight. You're on the line. Hey, I was just wondering, uh, what's your favorite band besides yourself? My favorite band. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd probably have to take the Beatles because that's pretty much like my time favorite band. You know. But good, I don't know. good answer. Me, yeah, me too. That one transcends like, the generations, don't they? Yeah. Oh, the Beatles will forever, I think, and that's like my go-to for songwriting. But I mean, there's a lot of new bands that I like too. I just, you know, the Beatles are definitely my number one favorite, probably of all time. But let's give let's give area code seven three two one more chance. You're on the line from New Jersey. Area code seven three two. Yes. No. Hello. Hello. Yes, Hello. speak, speak, woman. Um, 
What? You have a question for Luke? Who? Wait, what, what band is this? Last November. Oh, I'm, not, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there, so we'll, uh, we'll kill that. Alrighty. Well, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you open up those phone lines, you know? I know. We've, 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 kind of we've made our best effort now. We've, we've, had two, uh, we've taken two calls. We've got a lot of stuff coming in from the chat room. People want you to tour more. We've got somebody who wants you to visit Chicago. People are booing the Beatles. What? Well, they're fools. That's, that's just not allowed. That's just not allowed. I think yeah, uh, you know, they're knuckleheads. <laughs> there's being a fan, and then there's just being silly. Yeah, there's I, I don't being... know. I don't know how you can boo the Beatles. You wouldn't have any rock and roll music if it weren't for the Beatles. Hey, you said you like uh, some current bands. Who are who are some of your favorites from you know more recently? Um, I've been a huge Jimmy World fan for a long time. I really? Yeah, I like them. Yeah. They were kind of the yeah. first among the first of the current, uh, uh, what, the melodic, uh, punky, yeah, I, power poppy. Yeah, I think they're really. I think they're just a really solid pop band. Like they're, um, you know, they're kind of. I kind of think they're underappreciated a little bit as far as like people really, because really, if you listen, I mean, they draw on influences from like every kind of you know great pop song ever. You know, so they, you can tell it's like you know. But they've listened to a lot of old pop music and stuff, so it's really. I think they're a great band. Um, I, and I've always been a big. I've always been really big on lyrics. Um, our songwriting goes. So I listen to Bright Eyes a lot. Connor Over. Uh huh. Sure. Hello. Yeah, we, we Hello? we've got a lot of fans of him at Blog Critics. I I personally don't like his voice, but. Uh, as a lyricist, he's, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, his yeah, I mean his voice is kind of like an acquired taste. I think yeah, I mean you know I've listened to him so much. I guess you start to enjoy it, or I don't know. But I I just I always thought that he's brilliant at saying things in a a way I would never have thought to say them. You know. Any any of the classic uh, Georgia bands like uh, REM or I mean the Athens scene or anything like that? Or are you yeah, no, of... yeah, I definitely always I've always liked REM a lot. You know, I've never. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I've been like a huge fan, but I think they're a great band. Yeah. Well, their their best work. There, there are those who will argue, but their best work was certainly before your time. <laughs> yeah, probably. As far as I'm concerned, it was it was quite early on. But also, I mean, I listen. Collective Soul is from Georgia, right? Collective Soul. Yeah, they're Atlanta. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Collective Soul is from Georgia. I think they're from Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, I think they are. There's a bit, there's an awful lot. You got the Muscle Shoals scene. I mean, there's yes, there's a lot of great making. I mean, that's a you got fertile ground there. Besides, of course, going back further, the whole you know Southern Soul, right? Yeah, sound element. I, I've always uh, I listen to a lot of uh, a lot of classic rock. I mean, I've always been a huge Eagles fan, Petty, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anything like that. Um, uh, what else? I mean, we, that's usually the kind of stuff we listen to in the van, you know. We listen to Eagles a lot, actually. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you guys are very eclectic, and you're certainly not stuck on any one style or, or any one era. Who are some of the bands you've played with when you have toured? Um, we don't. We played a big show in Atlanta called Big Day Out, and that there was like lots of huge bands there. It was really cool. I mean, like Chris Cornell. Plain White Teeth, Cake played. That was cool. I got to see Cake, and I nice. told me to do a good show backstage. <laughs> so it was really neat. There was, I mean, there was just a ton of insanely huge bands on that show. Bravery, Interpol, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really cool. 
Wow. Is that well, affiliated with the radio station or something? Do what? Is that a, affiliated with the radio station? Is it that kind it of was, a show? Yeah, it was. It yeah. was a big joke for 99X. Who was right, young, right. But it was a really cool show. Those are I'll a lot of what, fun. I, I really, really like this album, and I want to give people a chance to really enjoy it. So, I mean, if it's all right with you, I'd, I'd actually like to close the show tonight with a complete song. I don't usually give bands more than, you know, 45 or 60 seconds. But uh, cool. if that's okay, I'd love to close out with Over the Top or Under the Weather. Oh, okay, cool. Pile track. Yeah. So uh, thank you very much for talking with us tonight, Luke. People, check out check out lastnovember.com. Uh, thanks also to uh, Umesh from Akrishnan from earlier in the show, and thanks to Eric. Um, this has been BCE Radio Live, and we're going to close things out with the title track from the new album. Great talking so to you guys. Is, yeah, hey, the band hey, is last hey, November. Go ahead. Really enjoyed uh, it. Like uh, it. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, and thanks for uh, everyone writing in the chat room. Appreciate it. <laughs> hey, good luck so to the band you guys. Is last November. The website is last November. The album, this song, are called Over the Top or Under the Weather. Good night. Storybook eyes